Hello, Grace Church. This is Pastor Jonathan. It's uh, great to be with you today. I uh, hope you found a cool place to watch during this heat wave. Uh, today, we're continuing in this series of little stories with, with big ideas. Um, I'm a picture person, so I love these stories. I remember one of my favorite stories as a kid was the little engine that could. Um, how many remember that? Yeah, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can. I remember as a kid just kind of rehearsing that again and again in my head when I was met with a challenge or, or something like that. And so stories mean a big deal to me. And, uh, you know, parables, uh, movies, stories, um, especially these parables that, that Jesus tells, these little stories that have big ideas. Uh, Jesus used stories to illustrate life principles and, and kingdom priorities. Uh, kingdom thinking involves these hard issues, these priorities that reflect God's heart and, and have eternal value. Uh, playwright Arthur Miller once said, in every successful drama, there's something that makes a person say, hey, that's me. Uh, that reminds me of the parables because uh, the story becomes a mirror in which we begin to, to recognize ourselves in the story and we come to a greater understanding of ourselves. And so Jesus uses these stories to that effect to help us to see ourselves as a, in a mirror. But more than a mirror, also a window that helps us to see the heart of God. Um, as a result, they help us to know God and what he values. They remind us that, that we're part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. And so this, the, today we're, we're going to be looking at uh, one of these stories with a big idea. So if you have a Bible or a device, you'll want to turn to Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third gospel, uh, chapter 12. As Jesus was moving towards the cross, huge crowds were, were drawn to him. Many of these were, were spectators. They, are, they were waiting for a show. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to say next or what he was going to do next or, or maybe even get a free lunch. Um, I think this is fascinating because in Luke 12, very first verse, it says, A crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. Uh, they weren't very good at social distancing, we'll just say that. Uh, there are literally too many to count, and they've got this mosh pit of people who are elbowing and, and just pushing and shoving, trying to get to Jesus. And it's in the, it's in the midst of this crazy crowd of fan followers and, and fanatics that Jesus calls his followers to a bold and fearless life following God. Well, in the middle of this bold, uh, powerful sermon, a man elbows his way to the front of the crowd and he interrupts Jesus with a demand. Now, I've heard all my life that there's no such thing as a dumb question, but I've asked too many dumb questions to know that isn't always the case. <laughs> I, I think about um, when my family and I were at a Mexican restaurant and we were enjoying the chips and salsa, although the salsa was a little bit spicy, a little hot for me. And so when the waiter came to the table, I, I just simply mentioned, I said, hey, um, do you have anything that's a little more mild than the, the salsa on our table? And he just kind of looked at me and said, you mean like ketchup? I was like, okay. <laughs> 
I, I kind of get the feeling that this was this man's experience. This man pops into our story with a demand. And I have a feeling after Jesus told this story and talked about um, these important issues, this man probably was just kind of like, oh. Um, he had his own little catch-up experience. Uh, here's what Luke says, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The man, man's interruption serves really as a segue into Jesus' story because this man was prioritizing the wrong thing. And so I think the big idea of the story is your heart will always follow what you prioritize. And specifically in this, at this point, when we prioritize money and things over people, we do harm to our relationships. I mean, you think about it. This man was in the crowd. He had just heard Jesus' teaching, but he really wasn't listening. He had a crusty heart. He wanted a bulldozer to force his brother to, to share. Instead, Jesus gives him a life-changing seed. And we see that Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus' reply is, is kind of a tip-off that I, I don't want to be involved in this family squabble. However, we are going to dig in and root out a dangerous and pro problematic uh, attitude of the heart. You see, Jesus recognized that this man was in a bad place. From Jesus' perspective, the man was caught up in this destructive sin that was crippling his relationships, crippling him spiritually. I mean, you think about this man is standing right next to the Son of God, but all he could think about was stuff. He had a money problem. And the problem is money had too much of his heart. And so in verse 15, Jesus turns from the crowd, from the guy to the crowd, and he said, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, Jesus wants to address this greater issue of greed. Now, greed is the, the assumption that, that it's all there for me. Uh, it's this desire to get more and more for myself. More and more stuff, more and more money. The bottom line, though, is this. Greed is an issue of misplaced priorities. It has the ability to derail our faith and destroy relationships. You know, it may be as something as simple as, as divvying up the lunch bill at, at Casa Del Mar. I mean, who's going to pay what? I remember last time I paid a little bit more. Uh, you may have tension in your relationship with your neighbor because you compare cars and mowers and, and lawn maintenance. Uh, it may be that I'm so focused on what I don't have that I'm not thankful for what I do. Or maybe the gift I gave was worth a lot more than the one I received. And maybe you've squabbled over an inheritance with family like this guy. Or, or maybe your mom or dad, you're, you're mad at them because they haven't bought you the, the shoes, the phone, the, uh, the game that you want. Or maybe you're married and, and you've been arguing over money a lot recently. The truth is, finances are one of the biggest catalysts to conflict in our relationships. So notice this verse begins with a double warning. Jesus says, watch out, and in case you missed it, be on guard. Well, that's strong language, and it implies that there's something here that we need to hear, that we need to listen to. 
Because greed is something that is a danger that we won't see coming unless we're vigilant. And see, greedy, greed is, is sneaky. It eludes us. I think we're often blind to it. And sometimes we draw such extreme pictures of greed on our mind, we say, well, that's not me. That, that's not me at all. Um, but greed isn't just Ebenezer Scrooge counting his gold coins by candlelight. Uh, I think most of us can say we've never done that, I think. <laughs> some, people, some people think I'm not greedy. I, I don't have enough money to be that way. But the truth is you can be broke and have nothing and still have a greedy heart. You may be greedy with your time. You may be greedy with your energy. Your love and your life simply revolves around you. You see, most of us never think of ourselves this way. In fact, I've never had someone come into my office and say, Pastor, I, uh, I have a problem with sharing. I don't have, I have a problem with not having enough. Um, and, that, and that way it's sneaky, it's dangerous, that, and it destroys relationships. And that's why Jesus takes the opportunity to dig into this a little bit. Now, I just want to be clear, Jesus isn't against cars and computers and, and clothes or, or any of the things that we use. He's not saying we shouldn't save for retirement or have a family vacation. Jesus is telling us that our lives have to be centered around God, that we need to arrange or even rearrange our priorities around him. Because you see, greed puts me in the center so that everything exists for my pleasure, my desires, my wants, my ego. It causes me to, to focus on wrong things, and my, my heart follows. And so Jesus wisely says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Not just, not just greed, but watch out for its many flavors. Uh, one pastor suggests there's at least seven different kinds of greed that can show up in our hearts. The first is fearful greed. Now, you're hesitant to give because you're worried you're not going to have enough for yourself. Money and stuff has become your security, and you want to make sure you have enough to live the way that you want. And it's a fearful greed. Another is covetous greed. You know, I, I didn't want an iPhone until all my friends got iPhones, and now I realize I can't possibly live without an iPhone. And so we want his car or her jeans or, or those front row seats or that sunroom or that weekend getaway. And see, the default position of our hearts is to be hyper aware of what we don't have and what we feel like we deserve. The problem is, is this kills an attitude of generosity because as long as I'm discontent, I have a hard time giving. Another is impulsive greed. Do, do you make impulsive decisions to, to eat out or buy clothes or book a cruise? Uh, you see it, you want it, you get it, and that little piece of plastic in your pocket makes it so easy. Maybe it's family greed. When we think about family greed, when a company's trying to sell tires, the TV announcer doesn't say, well, we sell very, very expensive tires, but they're high quality, so you should buy them. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, they show a, a young mom driving in the rain with two kids asleep in the back seat. And the announcer says, don't you want the best tires on your car at a time like this? And dad's watching that. He's like, what was I thinking? 
My wife and my kids' lives are at stake. <laughs> and so we buy expensive tires that, that we can't afford. Now, I want to keep my family safe. I love my family. Family is important, but sometimes we can make family a god. If it's for family, we think it's got to be good, it's got to be wise, but, but not always. And so we need to wrestle with that a little bit. Another area of greed is business greed. Some people spend money to look su successful. Everything from the car they drive, the clothes they wear, the, the places they travel, the, the tech toys they purchase. And some of these purchases are very legitimate. Sometimes simply an excuse. There's good life greed. Uh, you're the type of person who needs the best of everything, whether it's the, the stereo system that you listen to or uh, the steak that you grill or the, the seat in the stadium or that vacation spot. Again, it isn't always a problem, but sometimes are we willing to settle with less in order to create more opportunities for generosity? The last one is retirement greed, and perhaps the reason you can't be more generous is because you're saving as much money as possible for retirement. And again, saving for retirement is wise, but it's not without limits. In fact, in just a little bit, Jesus will tell the story about a guy who was saving up to take life easy. You see, we live with, with limited resources. Our choices reflect what we prioritize and they affect the opportunities we have to live for God and, and to love others. So Jesus, Jesus creatively and wisely addresses affluenza in, in the form of a parable. He knows how easily our hearts can make money investments in the economy, our God. Jesus knows and he wants us to understand that one of the greatest, if not the greatest, hindrances to our spiritual life and spiritual growth is stuff. And see, here's the point. Again, your heart will always follow what you prioritize. And when we prioritize money over people and, and over God, we miss the point of life. And so to illustrate this, Jesus tells a little story. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, it's obvious his assumptions get him into trouble. The uh, first thing to notice is, is Jesus says the ground the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He could have easily said a rich farmer produced a good crop. You see, Jesus' point is that it wasn't up to the farmer. God provided this successful harvest and was giving the farmer the opportunity to be a good steward with the blessing. But the farmer assumed it all for himself. And so... It's not a bad thing when land produces plentiful. It's not a bad thing when business prospers. It's not a bad thing when you get a promotion and a, and a pay raise. It's not a bad thing when your investments increase in value. That's not the evil in this parable. But the very next verse says, But God said to him, You fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, he's not called a fool for being a productive, successful farmer. The point of the parable is not the dangers of, of being successful, but the danger of forgetting God. You see, to be called a fool, especially by God, is to have missed the point of life. This person might look, we might look to as, as a success and we buy his books and we go to his seminars and we listen to his podcasts. God says, you're a fool because you've missed the point of life. The foolish farmer failed to recognize the source of his wealth. He saw himself as a self-made man. It's interesting in, in the original, uh, in, the, in the Greek, uh, we see that there's 54 words in this parable. 18 of them are words like I, me, and my. In other words, one-third of this parable is the farmer talking about himself. I this, I will, I that, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, myself. You know what's, you know what's visibly absent in this farmer's monologue? There's no mention of God. He'd missed the point of life. He'd failed to live for God. Moses reminds us, reminds us of this very same thing in Deuteronomy when he says, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, in success, in life, in all things, don't forget God. The farmer had the perfect plan. He was going to end his life taking it easy, being rich, fat, and happy. The, he was living the dream. But then God demanded his soul. And just like that, he, all that he had amassed, all that he had collected was worthless. All that he had invested in meant nothing. He, he lived his life with no reference to God and failed to prioritize things of eternal value. He planned for his future, but he didn't plan far enough out. And so Jesus ends the parable with these sobering words. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. How will it be? Total and complete loss. Death strips him bare and reveals him as a man who lived without God who lived without purpose, without eternal priorities. He stored up things for himself, but was never rich toward God, never acknowledged that all of his success, his blessings, his resources were from God to be used to bless others. He missed what he was made for. You see, the foolish farmer lived for himself. It's, it's all mine. I'm going to use it to make myself happy. And he overlooked the needs of others and lived only for himself. He prepared the ultimate retirement while failing to treasure the creator. And so when God asked him, what is the measure of your life? There was silence. The toys, the parties, the fine wines were all gone. And the rich farmer stands before God and he has to give an account. What have I done? I, I bought a lot of toys. I ate really, really well. I was entertained. I had a lot of fun but I did nothing you purposed or created me to do. 
You see, there, there's two opposing forces at work in our life. Greed is pulling us to get, 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 to buy, 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 me, me, me. And then there's generosity that's pushing us to give and to love and to serve. And which one we listen to is a matter of where our heart, our focus lies and what we treasure most. Greed operates on the assumption that all that matters in this world is me. Jesus is broadening our thoughts and pointing us to an eternal kingdom, a rich kingdom. We were made for eternity. So again, your heart will always follow what you prioritize. But you see, when we prioritize God over all things, we spend our lives wisely. We become generous. And this is, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You see, I don't want God to call me a fool for how I invested the life he gave me. I don't want to get to heaven and have missed the point of life. I don't want to focus so much on myself that I miss the joy of serving others. And when we understand the eternal consequences of greed, it's little wonder that Jesus says, be careful, watch out, be on guard. I, th I think it's one of the greatest spiritual perils we face as followers of Jesus, that we'll love the things of this world more than God himself. The temptation is, is there every day to take our eyes off of God and place them on things that don't ultimately matter. You see, instead of saying, I have plenty of goods laid up for myself for many years, I'm going to relax and eat and drink and be merry, I wonder if the farmer had, some, had said something more like, God, this is yours. You made my fields prosper. You provided the rain. You provided the harvest. Father, show me how I can express that, that you are my treasure. How can I invest myself in things that shine the light bright on Jesus? Because what is life? What is it that matters in life? Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, life is knowing God. Knowing Jesus, living like Jesus, pointing others to Jesus. You see, that's what it means to be rich toward God when I reflect the generosity of Jesus. We have this great, the greatest demonstration of generosity in the life of Jesus. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, we don't give because God needs it. We give because generosity reflects the heart of God. All through the Gospels, we see story after story, verse after verse, that, that demonstrates Jesus' generosity toward us. He left everything and became flesh and to live among us so that we might have the right to become children of God. Jesus spent time with those no one else would give time. He generously gave his full attention and listened and served and loved. He turned interruptions into opportunities. A boy offers his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus feeds a crowd of over 5,000, and they go home with leftovers. 
He lays down his life for us so that we can have life. And Jesus says, not just any kind of life, but life to the full. He gives his life, enduring the cross and its shame, to pay a debt that we could never repay. He generously gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us, encourage us, pray for us. You see, his whole life, as well as his death and resurrection, is a beautiful and profound picture of generosity. Jesus spent himself for us, gave everything without expectation, and we're to reflect that. But understand, he's not saying, well, Jesus did a lot for you, now you owe him. That's not the idea. The only logical response to to being deeply loved is to love deeply, to be generous, to be selfless in our love toward others, because nothing else makes sense. The truth is we are never more like Jesus than when we give, than when we reflect his generosity. And so when we generously give of our time, our treasures, our talents, we begin to reflect the heart of God in the presence of Jesus, and that's the point of life. To be rich toward God, I need to reflect the generosity of Jesus, and I need to be aware of white elephants in my life. I was like, what? <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, again, money is a limited commodity. The more I spend for one thing takes away from what I can invest in other ways. And many times we choose things that distract us from living for God. And so the story is told that the king of Siam, when he had an enemy he, he wanted to torment and destroy, he would send them a unique gift. He would send them an albino elephant, a, a white elephant. And these animals were considered sacred in the culture of that day, so the recipient of the elephant had no choice but to intentionally and carefully care for this elephant. Well, you can imagine what it would take to feed an elephant. It would take an incredible amount of time and resources and and energy and finances. And over time, the enemy would destroy himself with the burden of caring for this priceless and unique gift. You see, I think our spiritual enemy does the same thing. You see, he'd love to keep us from engaging in God-honoring pursuits. And he leads us to accumulate things that steal our time and steal our energy and our resources and distract us from the things that God desires for us. So what's distracting you from pursuing? What's distracting you from prioritizing God in your life? Are there there white elephants in your life that need to lessen their grip on your life? Well, the final thing, to be rich toward God is to practice daily generosity. Because that's really the antidote to greed, is practicing this daily generosity. I think sometimes we miss what this means because we think that expressing generosity demands the sensational, the spectacular. Uh, If I was Patrick Mahomes and just signed a $500 million contract for the next 10 years, like 13 million a game, I would like 13,000 a sermon. That would be great. Uh, But then I could be really generous. I could give lots of money to lots of people in a lot of great ways. But I like how one person explains it. 
He says, we, we think being rich toward God is like taking a, a $1,000 bill. Now, I know this is a 10. I, I don't have $1,000 laying around the house. But it's a lot like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord. I'm, I'm giving it all. Done. But the reality for most of us is, is that God sends us to the bank and he has us cash that in for a bunch of change. And we go through life giving out 25 cents here and, and, and 50 cents there. You know, listen to a, a neighbor kid's trouble. Pour some water for a patient in a hospital. Buy groceries for a family that's, that's struggling. Give encouragement to a, to a struggling, to a stressed waitress. Invest in a relationship over a Coke. Ask questions and listen. You know, call the, the check on someone who's, who's housebound. Encourage and support someone who's, who's taking the gospel and to places that I'll never go, to, to stay later and, and help clean up. To give up your favorite seat and get to know someone you, you don't know yet. Or come alongside someone who, who wants to know more about following Jesus. Or give consistently and generously to endeavors that promote God's plans and, and God's priorities. You know, pray for someone who's uncertain or scared or what's, of what's going on in our world right now. In other words, be generous in life and giving. The truth is, we're incredibly blessed. And so rather than asking for, for more blessing, God wants us to use the blessing he's already given us to help others, or we simply waste it. You see, being rich toward God, being generous with our lives and our time and our resources isn't always glorious. There's, there's no fanfare or confetti or trumpets or trophies. It's done in, in these little consi consistent acts of love, 25 cents, five cents, a penny at a time. Little by little over the long haul. You see, it's being faithful and available, consistent and generous, treasuring what matters, looking for opportunities to love and encourage. And the truth is, very few of these things will change the world. But they might just change us into the kind of people who give ourselves generously to God and give ourselves in love and service to others guarding us from prioritizing things that don't really matter. You see, every time we engage in, in acts of generosity of time and abilities and resources, you realize we participate in the grand story of Jesus coming to serve, to give, to love. We reflect Jesus. If we don't prioritize Jesus' story and his love and, and keep our hearts aligned to him, we, like the foolish farmer, will miss the point of life. So keep your heart aligned to Jesus because he truly is our greatest treasure. Let's pray together. Just want you uh, to ask yourself a few questions today. Uh, who is it I treasure? What do I treasure? What, 
What do I cherish? What am I pursuing? What are the things that I'm spending time and energy and resources on? What is it telling the people around me that I treasure, that I prioritize? And just ask yourself, how is my life a reflection of what truly matters in life? Father, I, I thank you for this parable. I thank you for this little story. I thank you for pointing out greed in our lives because it's so sneaky and so dangerous. And Father, I pray that we might align our hearts to yours, that we would pray like the psalmist who says, give me an undivided heart focused on you. Father, forgive us for being distracted by all the things around us. Father, help us to align and focus our heart on what really matters, that we don't miss the point of life, that we reflect Jesus in our priorities, in our spending, in our habits, in, in our lives, in our speech, that we reflect Jesus and in, in his generosity toward us. Father, help us to, uh, to take a cue from this story and the importance of generosity. And Lord, that we would follow you and not be distracted. That we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.